There's a recent change in the landscape. The way users can share their data with advert with the platforms is changing. So how can we deal in that environment? How we can respect user privacy, but also make sure that personalization and ads is sustained. Welcome to Humans of AI, where we tell the real stories of those who are building an AI or are making use of it in their daily lives. Today's guest is Ayush Mugdal, a senior machine learning engineer at Pinterest, currently leading the efforts around privacy-aware conversion modeling. Ayush has an expertise in large-scale recommendation systems, personalization, and ad marketplaces, and in the past has conducted research on intelligent tutoring systems. If you want to catch the latest episodes of the Humans of AI podcast, make sure to subscribe and check out my free AI newsletter, Chaos Theory, and find me on social at Alex Chowmander. Now, without further ado, here's my talk with Ayush. Hello, everybody. I'm Alex. I'm here with Ayush. And he is currently a tech lead in machine learning at Pinterest, working on recommendation systems. And he's going to be one of my fellow speakers at the upcoming AI conference in San Francisco. So before we we speak there, we'd love to share with the listeners of the Humans of AI podcast a little bit more about Ayush's background and his origin story. So Ayush, we'd love to, to hear. Who is Ayush and what's your background? What's your origin story? Yeah, thanks, Alex, for having me. Like, I, I grew up in India, and I did my undergraduate from IIT Kanpur in India. And I think I graduated in 2016, and then I went to do my master's from Columbia University in New York. And since then, I've been working at... And I would say, like, when I started, like, in, in IIT Kanpur, like, I did, did it in, like, computer science. And I went into computer science, but when I started, I was mostly focused on not in machine learning around that time. And I think in India, I think machine learning probably came later than what it happened in the U.S. or in other countries. I would say like the, the advancements of machine learning, as you see right now, I think India was a bit behind. So when I started during like in my first year, second year, I didn't have much context of what machine learning was. And I started like the first project that I was like mostly working on was, was a pretty interesting topic around like tutoring systems. And the idea behind tutoring system is that like every university has a programming course where you have teachers and you have tutors which help people to learn programming. So, but back in India, like you have maybe fewer teachers, but too many students, like one batch used to have 400 to 500 people. And then you have don't have the capacity to have that many tutors. So the idea was like, can you automate the process of tutoring? Like, can you automate the process? And, and the process needs to be automated, not in a way that, okay, this is, your code doesn't work. These are like five lines of code that you need to write, but more around like what the user is thinking about. So from there, I got to like intern with like a researcher at Microsoft. I got to intern at Carnegie Mellon. But what I look at, like the way we were dealing the problem there was through program synthesis, code compilations and stuff. But now I think the entire industry has changed. So it's good to see like how machine learning has changed the entire, like now, those techniques that you were doing in 2016, which looked cool around that time, are no longer relevant. Like the field has changed and there are different ways to use like like the co-pilot and kind of other APIs that people have, like have changed the entire industry or like the entire paradigm of how you solve these problems. That was what I was doing. I was still confused between like masters or a PhD in the field. But in the later part of my undergraduate, I think IIT Kanpur, one of being the one of the pioneer institutes in India, had still had the privilege to have like good machine learning faculty recruitments around that time. And I got to understand like, okay, machine learning is picking up during my like the final year. And then I got to work with professors there and 
then I got confused. Like, like, what do I want to do next? And then, like, I was torn between should I do a master's or should do a, should I do a PhD? And then I decided that maybe okay, masters make sense. So I ended up in Columbia, and one of the reasons I ended up at Columbia was also because Columbia had also faculty that were doing like tutoring systems, so it had that mix. So I ended up being there. I went to Netflix for an internship. And at Netflix, I could realize that okay, I don't want to be in academia anymore. I, I enjoyed my internship. I was working on computer vision there. And that's how I entered into the industry, and that's how I like started getting into AI. But what I had worked before was mostly on like computer vision, natural language processing. But I think recommendation systems is not what started in the study, like in any of the academic schools. But I would say like like luckily I ended up in recommendation somehow. If interest was still like a pre-IPO company growing at a scale that excited me. But yeah, and I've been there since then working on recommendations. I mean, I think there's a lot to to cover in that story, but I guess first off is like you mentioned like trying to bring machine learning into tutoring systems and the challenges of, of doing so, and even how in 2016, right, the techniques to to do that probably look very different. Some might say outdated compared to what it is today. Can you comment a little bit about in just in your own experiences, what's been the pace of machine learning? and AI been just as a practitioner and how you've personally tried to keep up? In terms of pace, I think it's, I would say on an exponential curve, I think what was happening in 16 was still slower. I would say what was happening in 2018 was still slower than what's happening today. I think the pace is an exponential curve and to be relevant, I think you need to keep updated with what's happening in the industry and also academia. One thing that I'm seeing at least right now is that different things are coming together, like back in 16, like NLP, Vision, and everything else, like recommendations were doing something of their own, but everything was having different techniques. But now when I look at with LM phase and stuff, like NLPs are using transformers, Visions is also using transformers, recommended systems is also using transformers in some sense and using like the learnings across different domains. So one important thing to realize is that these are not isolated domains. You need to keep track of what's happening in these domains. And then also in the theoretical domain around optimization and stuff, how do you train these models and stuff. So I think it's a big, big, big chunk. And I think one of the best way to to learn, I would say, is like if, if you are going to like, let's say you're reviewing papers and stuff, you get to know what's happening in the field. And then like I was being a reviewer in top conferences like NeurIPS, ICR and stuff. So if you review what's going on, then like you get a sense of, and then you can also push your boundaries to understand places that you don't know. But I would say the easiest way is to like maybe follow podcast or like follow follow newsletters where people distill this information. I know you have a very good like a newsletter that comes out, but like keep following those. I think that gives you a sense of what's happening in the industry which is important to, you don't need to know everything, but you need to know like what exists in the in, in, in the surrounding and what's happening. And then once you realize, then you can connect dots easy, like how it can apply to your use case or not. But I would say like the pace is pretty fast. And if I look back, there are many things that might happen in the last three months that I might still not know. And I think you, you need to keep track of that if you need to keep progressing. Otherwise I feel like, becoming obsolete in this at least in this environment is like easy right now it's not that like you can keep like if you're not keeping up the pace i think you are losing out yeah if you were to revisit like the tutoring system space right the the area that you you first started working on machine learning 
how would that look different using the techniques today? Right, you mentioned transformers being present everywhere, not only in NLP but recommendation systems and and whatnot. Could you double click yeah. some more on like what sort of advances would that yeah, look we, like? Yeah, I can share like what we were doing back then, right? Like what what like at Kanpur we had created this system that whenever someone is writing a program, in like every every of the keystroke is being logged in into like. This is what they're doing. They're running a test case. They see that, and this is how they try to fix it. Then they're doing something else. They're doing something else. So you have this journey, journey in there. But around that time, you don't. You, we didn't have the idea of how to use the journal, like how to use the sequential changes that the user is doing. How do you label this at scale? So those things were missing. Now, if you look at transformers, they're good at dealing with sequential information, but those things were not there. So we could only use that as a single done event trying to understand, okay, this is your beginning case, this is your end case, but you can't use the journey in between. So that that thing has changed in particular. Some things around that time, I think the other critical thing is not related to the changes in techniques, but like when we started for the first time, we, we, we also had this intention that, okay, you had 400 people, you don't want to give the same question to 400 people, you want to create some variation. So that was also being automated that, you have a template and then you create questions out of it automatically. You create test cases out of it. But when we did it for the first time, we realized that if you do that, then you're like segmenting your data that you're collecting. And then you don't have that much data to train on with these different examples. And at that time, we didn't have notions to map that, map everything into the same space using embeddings or something like that. We didn't have that notions and stuff, but right now, so in the second semester, we did something like, okay, we give the same question. We don't want to cut down on plagiarism. People might copy, that's okay, but we don't want to do that. We want to have more data, like having, like setting up your pipelines correctly. So we wasted six months, just like not able to get the data we wanted. So getting those things, but I think with transformers and everything coming in, like how do you deal, like model these things in a sequential manner that is changing? Like how you can do more of transfer learning and like multitask trainings, you know, like more use utilizing auxiliary losses and stuff with like more deep neural networks. I think that that concept is changing. And eventually you can just treat like programming as like words, like tokens, scatter words. So I think that is changing. And yeah, I think at that time, what we were doing was basically looking at the, I think every compiler has like an abstract syntax tree representations of the code. And that's what we were working on. But we didn't, didn't knew how to translate that sequence in like how do we go about doing that and that was like something which i think was missing so i think everything has a time when you do it in some sense you personally feel like it's a good space to continue working on i would say like at least like in countries like india right like you have many people like you don't have that many resources to teach so these kind of techniques where you can have technology to advance your education would come a long way but when you do that i think there's also the secondary impact like you want to also understand What's the psychology behind this? Are the people really learning with these tools, these assisted tools or not? Or are you just like killing their creativity? So that's the secondary part, which I got exposed when I was interning at CMU. Like in India, we didn't have this concept when we're doing this, but at CMU, since they're a bit ahead, like that was the kind of questions people were asking, like, okay, like maybe you, you'd give them for one semester. Does it really help them to grow them? Or is it something that impacts your learning? So that's the thing. I, I think that's a boundary that still needs to be understood. But I think knowing this in an assistive manner, I think that can make it more self-centered. And then you can control the kind of hints you're giving. You don't need to necessarily give all the hints, but then you can control the kind of hints you're providing. So 
in that respect, I think at least in countries where you don't have access to like good tutors or teaching, I think it, technology can bring that advancement easily, bring those like expertise to them and I think that can help people to learn. One of the biggest concerns in the education system, certainly in the US, but I'm sure it's replayed all across the world is there's not enough teachers to go around, right? Not enough uh, ways to give a personalized education as well as yeah, something that's catered to an individual, right? And I think previously, right, if you were to try to build these sort of systems, it would be just a lot of work, a lot of manual labeling, a lot of manual like tasks to try to like fulfill that promise of democratizing education. But from my vantage point, right, a lot of the the promise of these generative AI models is their generalizability, right? Is the ability to create content and also even be like modified in some way using things like prompt engineering and context learning, those sort of things to, to give a more customized response. And a lot of that is enabled by a lot of these advances that have happened incrementally, but now all of a sudden with, yeah. with these foundation models. So, so that's super exciting. And I certainly would imagine that there are re- really smart people who are going to be working on delivering the next generation of education type experiences that hopefully will fulfill that promise. Absolutely. Well, one thing that I see that you're personally doing or that you mentioned is that you're currently working at Pinterest and working specifically on recommendation systems. I think you said that you didn't necessarily have that background going into the field, but that you picked it up kind of along the way. And now you're a tech lead for recommendation systems. For the listeners and for people who just may not know, could you give like a very simplified view of what goes into building a recommendation system at an internet scale type company? I joined Pinterest when Pinterest was still very small. I got an understanding of how to build it from ground up and then how do you scale it. So I think that was a good experience. And around that time, I knew that if I joined, let's say Google, Facebook, they have already cracked it. So you don't get to learn that learning. So that was a good thing. But in a very high level, like a recommendation system is trying to learn some patterns that the users have on the platform, not necessarily the exact user who is browsing, but across users and try to learn those patterns so that we can identify content that is mostly relevant to these users, like coming up with the content that's relevant so that can give you the right relevant content, but also can ensure that you don't, you're not exposed to content that you don't like, and then you lose the platform. So that's the main main motivation for a general recommendation system. But now, like now, like platforms at Pinterest have like billion scales of content on, in them. And with ads, you have still like a good, good enough corpus that you have, that you can give this contact. Now there's like, in most of these like recommendation systems, like they follow, like I would say, like different stages of processes catered to solving different problems. And in a typical recommender system, there's always like, you need to have a good feature representation. You need to learn what a good user features are, which could be like, what's your age, your gender, your location, what's your browsing browsing histories, what's your interest, which you can either explicitly ask from the users, but not many of the times like systems would ask for their explicit content and they will try to infer what their interest could be. And then you need to have good features for your content. Once you have this setup, you can bootstrap, like bootstrap your system. And typically like a recommendation system would have like different stages, like retrieval. So retrieval main task is mostly to be able to find content, like have a good recall of what a a relevant content could 
could be for a user. And then you have more precise models that are called for like ranking concept, ranking, ranking models that are looking to provide you more precise predictions for what the user might like. Now, now what is relevant to a user can have different meanings. Either it could be clicks or it could be whether the user is going to save it, how much time the user is going to look at it, or it could be whether the user hides it. Or it could be like whether it's relevant to what they're doing. Sometimes the users might like some, some let's say if I like home decor, but let's say if I'm searching for something else, I can still click on home decor content, but that's not relevant to what, let's say, maybe if I'm searching for tattoo or something. So those are not relevant. So you might have some concept of relevance among what you're trying to do and stuff. Now you have these different parameters that, that can capture what relevance means. And in different cases, it could mean different things. Now you need to come up with an optimization here in like, how do you want to balance these, which is mostly a business business kind of like decisions, like how, what kind of metrics do you, do you kind of measure more? And then you also need to look into like more long-term metrics, like how many users come back to your platform, so and, and different kind of metrics. And then you have different models that are trying to predict for a given user, what this means. And that's how like a, a typical recommendation system is set up in general. Yeah. Yeah, I see that at the upcoming AI conference, uh, again, that you and I are both uh, speaking at, is that you're going to be talking about some of the best practices in building recommendation systems. I guess to go one level deeper, like what is a at least some of the example best practices that you could share in bite-sized form for the listeners to, to hear? Yeah, I think I, I think I will share some of the best practices in the upcoming conference around like how do you go from like building it from a simple to like more complex? Like currently when we started, like Pinterest used to rely on like simpler techniques, like logistic regressions, gradient boosting, decision trees. Those are powerful in some sense. You don't always need to go to neural networks. Like when you don't have the data, when you don't have the features, those are very powerful. But as you start to scale, like as Pinterest started to scale, like we could see that our architectures are bottlenecked. Now you move to like more complex architectures, we move to more sequential architectures. And that comes with all kinds of complexities as you move to more complex, like you need to have different, different parts of your system which are ready to support it. You need to have like monitoring in place. You need to have like monitoring not only on your model predictions, but on your features, on what your model is doing. And you need to have a very big, like a good suite of like monitoring systems to sustain these models. And then not only this, like when we are trying to add Pinterest, even like when you're trying to move, like sometimes you disregard like what's your storage cost, what's your serving cost, how are you like dealing with your models, like what kind of models you have, how much of is your maintenance cost. Like as Pinterest, I mentioned that we had different objectives. So earlier in 2016, you used to only have like, there was no concept of multitasking with GBDDs, LRs, you can't do that. We had like 20 models serving different objectives, but then that's not scalable. And going forward in 2022, we combined the models to multitask learning. And now you have like lesser models, but now your models are more powerful. You need to be more careful. So those are some of the lessons and some of the things that I would be sharing in the conference. Transitioning to something that might be a bit more not directly related to your work, but maybe you are making use of it, is there's been this buzz, especially in Silicon Valley, right, about agents, agents as a as a topic of AI enabled by these large language models and, and foundation models. I guess for the listeners, right, agents provide a way for AI to more autonomously make decisions, act, and use tools, use APIs to 
to accomplish some goal. I guess, Ayush, I'm super curious, like for you and maybe in your own work, what do you think about agents as a whole? Is it more hype or is it actual reality? Yeah, I think it's, I would say, closer to reality in some cases. I do see like these agents playing a very powerful role in improving your developer velocity, or like improving your velocity of maybe repetitive tasks, things like like I've been using personally, not not in context of interest, but like personally, let's say if you have a paragraph, you want to summarize them and let them like maybe do something out of it. Like those things, like those those kind of simple tasks are much easier. But now if you go about like you have many repetitive tasks, let's say like things that I want to like to see is to like I know like there maybe someone is already working, but things like you want to do status updates every week. You don't need to go back and like see what you did this week. If you can have like that automated as a process, you can just, okay, this is your status update. You don't need to spend time around like knowing what you did in the past week. It can just analyze your data. So that that process can be easily automated. Now, the other thing is like, I, I see like there are more like multimodal agents that I think would come into place. Like I have some something in my mind how can I like just transition into like if I'm, I'm speaking, but I want to do some activities on a website, like let's I want to book a ticket, let's to San Francisco, to Seattle, like can that be automated? I don't need to like go about booking the process alone. So those are the things that I think it can easily change and be a step function change rather than like it being a hype and that, that can be automated easily around those repetitive tasks. The other thing is like, I think I know there's also this concern that like, will that remove, like replace engineers, replace software developers and stuff. I think that's probably not happening. I think that hype is not, is probably not true, but I think as an engineer, you still need to upskill yourself. Like I would need to upskill myself to still be relevant in the field. Like if I stop upskilling myself, I think the ways you do things would keep changing, but like upskilling is really important to be like be able to stay with the field. Yeah, for sure. I think that that point about staying on top of things, staying at the forefront of a very fast moving area. I mean, we talked about even in a short amount of time, how the old ways of, of doing machine learning of doing AI is, is very different than, than it is today. And agents as a concept certainly have a lot of attention right now, but it is directionally probably something that is at least worth looking at some more, worth playing around with and and seeing what are the the limitations of that technology. Yeah, absolutely. Like again, in terms of like times changing, right? Like when I was at Netflix, like this paper had come out, like attention is all you need. People people were reading the paper, but we never realized that four years or five years down the line, this this completely changes everything, right? So you need to be on top. You need to be able to connect things so that you can know okay, what, what would make sense. All right, Ayush. So we've talked a lot about, you know, kind of your experiences in machine learning, in recommendation systems, and even a discussion about agents. I'd love to sort of transition this topic about some of the things that you personally feel are not maybe as talked about in AI. I think in this industry, in this uh, area, right, we've both seen a lot of uh, things get hyped up uh, a lot, a lot of buzzwords thrown around, but there's probably a lot of topics that, you know, aren't as covered, aren't as talked about in this space. So I'd be very curious, right? Ayush, what, what do you feel is something that people aren't paying enough attention to in AI? Yeah, I think one thing I would say, at least in my opinion, I think 
people try to talk about bias and fairness issues that arise with these AI systems. And I think they do talk about, but I don't see big movements happening around those directions because I know you can have more post-processing rules today so that you don't expose this bias. And that's a very, is a good step in that direction. But going forward, I think the entire thing needs to be more researched upon in a more principled manner rather than just trying to hide some aspects of it in some sense. So that would be interesting to see. But I think having a solution to this problem would be crucial for for the continued success for, for these things in a way that it doesn't impact certain sections or like certain populations in, in a way that you don't want it to be. Do you personally feel that this is just a job for the ML team to own or to figure out? Or do other teams, other departments have to get involved? So I think in terms of, I think there are always this, I would say not specific to Pinterest, but you need to have this alignment from top down. This is something that needs to be prioritized. Some of these things, when you invest, you might not get the current profit out of it, right? So you might, let's say if you start collecting this data, but if you're trying to go for a data set that's biased, then the users are smaller. But then not only the ML teams, but I think the product vision, having the leadership to support it, I think that's crucial. And also having a voice of people, I think that's crucial. The space is changing. It's, I think people are aware about about the issue. And I think I think the progress is happening, but I think it's it would be important to make sure that the progress is not dropped. I know there are many things that are happening and then I think the way fast things are moving, you need to make sure that you still balance it with the ethical considerations. Something I know, I think those are still things being talked about around copyrights. You have a content, but these models are training on your content. So that is something. The harder thing is also about, can you distinguish the original content versus the one that generated through these agents? Can you distinguish that? I know at least today you can still have some statistical ways to to maybe measure this how it is constructed but as the technology is going to advance i think things would become more complex but i think it would be the same thing as that you can know okay, an image can be photoshopped too right that that's something that people know but there's also this awareness that needs to be made that not what you see is always being written by someone it might be auto-generated so that awareness in the people that mindset need to also change i would say in terms of images people are not sure right and you can say that okay this might be photoshopped or something else but you don't have that concept for videos and you don't have that concept for speech and i think that's where awareness and everything would also needs to come in place not necessarily think ml but people would should be made aware okay this is what's happening this is what could happen this is what the challenges are this is how the industry is evolving and and they, they should be aware about what, what they are kind of being exposed to in some sense. You brought up a good point that it has to have alignment from the top down and not just alignment and not just lip service of people saying that they want to do this investigation or be responsible in their AI development, but they also need to invest, right? They need to put dollars behind it. They need to staff up teams to to do all that. And sometimes, right, especially when speed is of the essence, right, trying to ship some product out there, right, some people would say, even among the big tech companies, right, that the people focusing on the ethical side of AI, the responsible side of AI, they may slow those teams down, that it prevents the the innovation from happening. A lot of this often comes out after the fact where some big mess up happens, right? Some detection goes wrong, some classification misfires, and people, all the mainstream media, everyone just reacts to it and, and is is offended by it or, or something. That itself like, has a strong monetary 
consequence or, or cost to it. So it just goes to show that investments are needed and leaders, CEOs, whoever making the decision, it's not just a ethical one to concern themselves with. It's also very much an economic question too. Yeah, I think it will become more prominent with these models coming in. I know we haven't been to become more readily used. I think that would become even more of some importance, at least because I think these models have more memorization capacities than what the earlier models used to have. So I think industry would need to pay more attention in general. And I'm saying people are doing paying attention, but I think there will be more fundamental advancements in how you do it. Well, are you sure one thing that uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on is, you know, we've talked about things that maybe people aren't paying enough attention to, but I'd love to also hear there's this other more optimistic side of things that are happening, progress being made, the future is is being realized. What are some of the things that you are personally excited about of the future? Yeah, I think one, one thing that I'm really excited about is using AI for in healthcare in perspective, how you can speed up medical diagnosis, drug discoveries and patient care. I know at least COVID was a very tough time, but the way vaccinations were rolled out, at least to what I know, was, was pretty phenomenal. Like The time to bring that was still not that long. But you can use AI for identifying drug discoveries. You have massive data analysis simulations that you can do and identify patterns and correlations among them so that you can be more accurate in those treatment plans. I think that's something. I'm seeing some movements also in personalized AI. Not everyone use cases similar, how you can direct them to the right doctor that they should visit based on their previous histories. Not many times people know what's the doctor I should go to. So I think having those and having having more AI in the healthcare, I think that's something I think would definitely be useful. The other thing is, I know probably this computer vision kind of things are people are also using to look at climate change and how do you want to do disaster, disaster response. I think that, that's pretty good. You can identify fires or something more, more, more quickly than what you used to do before. So those are things I'm excited about that I think it should be really promising in a very positive direction. Yeah, I think I... Some things that I looked at also, one of my friend was researching into agriculture usages, how you can grow crops with less water intake, how you can identify that something is going to go bad in your producer. So I think having more in the food industry and those those advancements there. And, and I think those would be still pretty, pretty good to watch out. Yeah, I think there are a lot of these sort of, they're both exponential and incremental changes or advances happening that if they're incremental over some period of time, they start looking, wow, a big advance, a big, big step function change. And especially for some of these areas that you're talking about, whether it be agricultural tech, climate tech, or or others, right? It's about just trying to make sure that we have a future planet to look forward to, you know, food and, and all that for, for a growing population, just to, yeah, make sure that we're a good steward of this planet. So yeah, certainly looking forward to, to seeing more AI being applied to these areas. I think the AI is at a point that it's not about the models. Being able to connect with product, I think that's what the real thing was going to happen. And then connecting in different fields. I think computer science is still pretty heavy on AI, but I think your agriculturalist and those people have a disconnect in that sense. How do you connect all communities together in a way that by building products that can enable them to do things faster? Well, in the spirit of even trying to bring more people into 
AI into the community. A lot of people are asking, right, especially those who are currently either in a job or in an industry that's being disrupted, or students, right, people who are just stepping into university for the first time. They're interested. They they see all this stuff that's happening in the space, but they just don't know. They they are wondering how do I break in, and especially for someone like yourself who has. Had a a bit of a journey, kind of going in different areas, and certainly a nonlinear path, right? What would you say, or I guess what advice would you give to people who are looking to to break into the field? Yeah, I think that's a great point and a great question. I think the advice that comes to my mind is, at least in terms of fields being disrupted, I think the skills that you learn in your fields are always important. Software development, software engineering is very crucial to bring all of these AI products into into reality. It's not about Knowing machine learning, but it's also about how do you make systems that can that can use that. So I think having those skills, at least with software engineering, are very still relevant in some sense. It's only that the way you interact might change. You might use Copilot more than what you were doing before, but you still need to have that creativity in mind. But if you want to, let's say, go into theoretical or understanding of machine learning in, in depth, I would definitely suggest to have the basic Still, the basic traditional machine learning courses have a good understanding about what a logistic regression does, what gradient booster trees does, because those are your building blocks. And then from there, you can understand what the field is doing. And then there are seminal papers that got maybe attention is all you need, then transformers and GPT, what worked. But once you have the building blocks, you can you can go and catch catch up with what's happening. But also don't I think things would look overwhelming, but the other way around is also getting your hands dirty. I know there are a lot of competitions on Kegel. There are a lot of challenges, courses by Stanford that try to give you some some problem that you need to solve. And then if you start solving those problems and and one of the crucial thing around these is having a community where you can also learn if there's someone who is working and is in the similar kind of similar kind of learning trajectories. If you can probably work with people who want to learn and at a similar stage as what you are, then you can use the community to maybe resolve your questions, move forward. And I think having that is critical. And I'm seeing communities being built with even people who are 20 years into the industry, but they want to learn generative AI. So I think people are pushing each other. So I think having that enthusiasm to push yourself, learn something new, the web is wide open, so you need to find the relevant resources. What are the relevant resources? And also probably do some hands-on, hands-on like practical project that could enable you to understand in more depth because just reading would not would not give you the entire understanding. So if you have some problem or some product that you want to solve and build, I think that that's going to help us help you in a good way. Yeah, one super encouraging sign that is certainly present in the machine learning AI community is that, yeah, it's just very open. People talk to each other. They talk all over Twitter, Discord, Reddit, and they, for the most part, are quite welcoming for, are quite helpful in just pointing people to resources or just sharing advice, sharing perspectives. So certainly, yeah, it's not a a space that you have to, you know, go down a very defined path to to participate in, right? You could very much just be a a software engineer who is interested and wants to to dive in. There's all these tools, all these courses, all these example projects out there that you can learn from, plus people to to talk to, plus a community to to be a part of. So, I mean, hence even this Humans of AI podcast, right? 
it's just one piece of this larger community that people can participate in. One good thing I see with the podcast, many times people don't know who might be open to connect with in general and having access to information. I think then you can probably be easier. Okay. You can probably connect to them. And I think in my experience, people I didn't knew, but I connected. Most of them are willing to help people to mentor. I think in most of the time I've seen people are more willing to help. It's just that people just don't make that connection. Ayush, as we start wrapping up, one thing that uh, I'd love to hear more about is, you know, I think a lot of us are formed based off of either books, media, content, you know, whether that be TV shows, movies, some a favorite novel, fiction, nonfiction, and just how that sort of shapes our own way of perceiving life, how we how we view the world, how we go about our day-to-day. Could you identify maybe a, a couple impactful sources of content, either analog or digital, that have been very helpful for you to navigate life? Yeah, I think in that respect, I know there are probably many content that would have influenced my thinking, but I have to call a few of them right now. I think one of them was, I think this book by Scott Adams, that's called How to Fail at Everything and Still Win Big. He's, he was the author for Dilbert Comics. And I think this book goes into a good set of his failures, how he still keep motivated and how he progressed in life to create something that, that is valuable to everyone and something that. So I think that, that was the one book that really resonated, resonated with what in my thought process and how about you go about learning from each of your failures don't don't be dejected with what's happening and i think failures are part of the life so i think that that's a good book the other book that i liked was around this why we sleep this is a book that talks about how sleep is important in your life before before reading the book on the podcast and stuff i was okay sleep sleep doesn't seem that important but i think it emphasizes on how sleep is probably the most important thing in like you need to have a good good sleep to make sure that you're functioning healthy so i think that that opened my eyes i think I tried to read mostly motivational books or something that kind of is more about sharing some insights. And more recently, I'm also reading this book, which I found useful is around, it's called Elegant Puzzle. It talks about how do you grow your teams? How do you size teams? How do you make sure that teams are cohesive in nature? How do you make sure that it's more on the management side, but I think it gives me a good understanding to see sometimes as an engineer, I might not be supportive of what's happening in my management chain, but when I through the book, I can understand, okay, this is how, why the team is being dealt in this way and how do you deal with technical depth? I think those are some insights. Awesome. Well, one thing I'd love to to do is, is highlight you know, where people can find you. I'm sure people would love to follow along your own journey and see how they can learn from the steps that you've taken to uh, get to where you are. Uh, so for people who are interested, uh, where can they find you online? Thanks, Alex. I think for having me here, I would love to share my thoughts with people. And I think they can find me on LinkedIn easily. Otherwise, I think my email email is also easy. It's my first name, not last name, at gmail.com. And really, thanks for creating this podcast, enabling people to connect. I think that that's really important. Of course. Yeah. So for people interested, definitely connect with Ayush on LinkedIn and ask him your questions. I'm sure he'd be happy to respond to them. Thank you, Ayush, for coming on the podcast and really appreciate your story. We really appreciate all the, the insightful things that you've you've given myself and, and all the listeners. See you at the, the AI conference. And yeah, till next time. Hey, thanks for listening to Humans of AI. 
If you're building something with AI or are perspectives you want to share, drop me a note at alex.humansofai.xyz. And be sure to subscribe to my newsletter, Chaos Theory. Until next time, this is Alex, Resident Chaos Coordinator.